0: Here we go. We're in the uh, midst of a, of a series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the, the Manifesto of Jesus, the Constitution for the Kingdom of God. We've been preaching through this. We've been describing it as the easy yoke of Jesus. This is what it means to live under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ by faith in his kingdom. So there's a logic, there's a way of seeing and thinking and a way of, uh, that things work in the Kingdom of God in Christ that Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount. Today our text from uh, Matthew chapter six is full of familiar phrases, right? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. No one can serve two masters. do not worry about your life. Oh, no. Can any of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you've been a Christian for 20 minutes, you've heard some of these phrases. <laughs> yes? Yes. Yeah? Well, today, friends, today, Jesus is unveiling and revealing the danger and destruction of making an idol out of provision, where the idol of provision, which is a scarcity mentality driven by the need to secure my own safety and security. And when when provision becomes an idol, what happens is it enslaves us, Jesus says, and it names us. But today we proclaim the good news. That God provides all we need in Christ Jesus. God provides all we need in Christ Jesus. So this past Tuesday was Halloween, right? The one day of the year where uh, all your neighbors knock on your door and ask you for things. (laughs) Which is unique in Western culture because typically uh, that's the last thing you do as a person who lives in the suburbs is go to somebody else and say, I need something, and I won't give you anything in return. That's sort of the, that's the the under, that's the unspoken code of the suburbs. Don't ever do that. But on Halloween that happens. And so um, when I was a kid, Halloween began right after school. Um, and it lasted. I, I would take my pillow out of my pillowcase, and I would run out the door at four o'clock and start knocking on doors, and I wouldn't come home until ten, and uh, or I'd come home when the pillowcase was full. And so I remember when I got in junior high, I'd get in a car and drive to other <laughs> neighborhoods. So 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 now it's so sanitized, right? It, it, it starts right at six, it ends right at eight, uh, and and there's. This, there's there's these rules these protocols there's propriety now but one of the things on display in Halloween is this uh, this unfettered sort of it it is Shangri La for a kid right so in our house we 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 sort of ration candy and sugar right you it's you don't always have access to the um, the wonderful uh, drug of sugar whenever you want it but like for one night like we throw open like uh, we, we throw open Pleasure Island for like eight-year-olds and they go running through the streets seeking candy. And so um, I, I stay at home this year. I, I stay home and I hand out hot apple cider to adults who come and it's time to see kids. And Sharon takes Deacon and Celeste and they go out into the streets uh, shaking down other people for, for candy and high fructose corn syrup. And uh, it's amazing what happens because my kids don't have a stash of candy. When I, when I was a kid, I would get like a, 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 um, a pillowcase full of candy in Halloween. And my goal was, because uh, as I'll talk about a little later, I have some scarcity issues. My goal was to keep that bag of candy, like like not let it run out until Easter came. And I would fill the bag of candy back up, right, with Easter. Like there was the spring candy holiday and the fall candy holiday. And my goal was to never run out of candy. Uh, our kids aren't like that. Um, praise God. And so uh, they come home, and there's this candy swapping thing that happens on our garage floor. And they dump out these huge mountains of candy. They got tons of candy in about an hour and a half. And immediately you see, um, like, rivalries start to break out. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So there's there's like 140 pieces here and 143 pieces here. And the 140 person is losing their biscuit because the 143 has more. (laughs) Whereas an hour and a half before they had zero, right? So there's this there's this thing, this this thirst, this appetite, this desire to accumulate. And um it only happens once a year with just children on Halloween, right? Sure. That's the only time it ever happens. <laughs> sure. So like so I'm watching this happen, trying to help our kids understand that they have you have more than enough sugar here to keep you on uh, a legal high for the next six months. Um, but but as it's happening, they began to give away some of their candy. And we, we we're going to send some candy to Haiti because um, poor people need cavities, too. And, and um, uh, I started noticing, like, my, like, I saw candy in their candy that I really like. So there's chocolate people. How many of you are chocolate people? Yeah. And then there's, like, sweet tart taffy people who who's a sweet tart taffy person Uh, mallory i saw that hand twice (laughs) and my kids like so sharon's a chocolate person and i'm like a laffy taffy chewy sweet tart uh oh gosh lord forgive me lord forgive me um uh there's high-handed sin. This is like like a medium-handed sin. I just love that kind of candy. So, uh, so they start they start they start giving that candy away, and I had already determined that was going to be part of my dad tax candy. And I I I started sort of planning on like this is how I'm going to swap out that candy for Haiti when they go to bed and they won't know it. And this is where I'm going to stash away my uh, what were they called the the uh, the sour patch kids you know. Oh. Just let him sit in my mouth. I'm gonna st- <laughs> Right? Friends, this this is the world we live in, though, right? So Halloween is sort of this humorous place. Uh, I remember a friend of mine called me six months ago, and he was like, uh, you guys know Andy. He was like, bro, you got to get down here to Marsh. I was like, why? He's like, they're going out of business, and all of their liquor is 40% off. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> ran out the door, right? So I'm standing in Marsh, right? And Andy and I are standing here, and like, we're looking at, like, I'm a bourbon. I like bourbon. And we're sitting at these bottles of bourbon, and we're like... It's 40% off. So that means we have to get all of them, right? There's this impulse in us. There's this impulse in us uh, to, to accumulate, right? To, to, to make sure we have enough. There's this fear of if I don't secure this, and if I don't create safety around my provision, I could be without. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you see this? In, do you see this at all in your life, in your world? Right? Doesn't have to be candy or bourbon. <laughs> Doesn't have to be candy or bourbon. But this shows up all over, friends. This uh, this text today, this section today, Jesus is talking about this need we have for provision. Um, I don't have time to talk about this, but there's three main temptations that we see in the Garden of Eden. We see in the wilderness with Jesus. John talks about them in 1 John chapter 2. And it's the need for three things that we've been created for. For belonging, for significance, and for provision. These are good things, things that God wants to give us. Jesus is already talking about significance in the Sermon on the Mount. We preach that in chapter 5. Now he's dealing with this need for provision. This need for provision. And often this, often this sermon is preached on this text with this sense, like, do you have new shoes on? How many pairs of shirts do you have in your closet? How big is your savings account? Right? And then I stand up here, and I, I calibrate enough guilt to make you give some things away and make sure the, 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 the plate's filled with your money at the end, but also enough, enough sort of freedom and permission that you'll come back next Sunday. Friends, remember that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount isn't a sledgehammer to browbeat you into obedience. If you hear it that way or it's preached that way, there's not enough Jesus in it. Jesus's commands are an easy yoke. They're meant to liberate and free us from bondage, not create more bondage, more performance, more things to live up to. So this isn't a try harder, do more servant, Although, although there is a call to repentance. The righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees isn't you being poorer and more simple than them. It's, it's, it's that your heart is oriented towards God, not just your behavior, not just your behavior. So this message won't be a guilt trip. If you want one of those, there's plenty on the, uh, on the YouTubes and uh, the podcasts <laughs> for that, right? Uh, rather, Jesus is revealing today the damage, the destruction, friends, of the idolatry of provision in our lives. How it dehumanizes us and robs us of the love and the freedom and the singleness of heart that we've been created for. Today, friends, today, in the midst of a culture, we have a Halloween kid culture where 140 pieces, it it will never be enough where we accumulate, where appetite for more reigns. And in fact, in fact, you can't watch a single program on television without interlaced in that program messages and beacons of you don't have enough. Today, into that world, into the danger, the ideology of provision that wants to enslave and identify us, Jesus, we proclaim the good news that Jesus, that in Jesus, God provides all that we need. So he unmasks the idol of provision in three ways, Okay. This is Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to do this rather um, quickly because we want to respond. We want to respond to this good news that Jesus has for us. So three truths. What, what we behold will fill and form us. <coughs> what we look at, what we behold will fill and form us. Our desire will either enslave or liberate us. And what we seek will ultimately become our identity. First, what we behold will form and fill us. This is in Matthew 6, 19, right? Don't store up for yourselves treasures, <coughs> right? But store up, uh, where the thieves break in and, the, and, the, and, the, and they steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, uh, where moth can't get it and rust can't uh, decay it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And also the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So what's going on here, friends? When when we treasure the thing that decays, like that Snickers bar, <laughs> uh, even bourbon will go bad. Uh, when we treasure the thing that decays or dies or is stolen or destroyed, our heart will be stolen and destroyed with it. Let me say that again. When our treasure is in something that is destroyed or decays or dies, our heart, our inner life, the 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 seat of our very uh, life will be destroyed with it. And Jesus uses this eye as a lamp of the body illustration to unpack it a little more. See, ancients had this idea that uh, there were two different ways of understanding how our, how our eyes worked. Um, and one was that light came into the body and filled the body. And one was light came out of the body and shone like a candle. Okay? Those are two ways of understanding how the eyes worked. But uh, Jesus is making use of both those understandings, and this is what he's saying. We see with the light that comes from inside of us, is what he's training on. And if we treasure provision, if we make an idol of provision, then our possessions makes our eyes unhealthy, because we're filled with the darkness of that idolatry. We can't see straight, we might say today. So we're filled by what we behold. We are formed by what we gaze upon. Uh, we went to Disney World a few weeks ago, which is why we weren't here. And it was a lot of fun—not very restful, but a lot of fun. We went to see Cirque du Soleil. Has anybody seen Cirque du Soleil? Acrobats and uh, people riding bikes on on sticks, thirty feet off the ground, and it's, it's just kind of kind of crazy, right? And it's, it's pretty much the most amazing show we've ever taken our kids to. And we're leaving this show, and it's been like this wonderful day at Disney. And uh, there's a shop underneath the Cirque du Soleil that sells Cirque du Soleil um, uh, items. And my, my nine-year-old is like, Dad, can we go shopping? And I was like, first we have to find a bathroom. Then we can talk about shopping. D- daddy, daddy's daddy got to go potty. <laughs> so, so we went to the bathroom, and then, and then he was talking to Mommy. And mommy said, uh, no. And he came to me and he said, you said we could do this? I said, no, we had to find a bathroom. And like my son lost it. <laughs> he lost it because he had $7 left to spend of his $20 to get on vacation. And he wanted to, to buy a souvenir. And when he lost it, I lost it. <laughs> right? Because a, a, lack of genera- a lack of like gratitude and a lack of contentment uh, is something that I struggle with. And so when I see it on my kids, it really gets See, we know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Friends, what we gaze upon and behold will fill us. And then Jesus says, we then see with that darkness. The good news, friends, the good news is that there isn't enough stuff to gaze upon to fill you with light. But that Jesus is beautiful. And alluring and his kingdom and his kingdom, thank you. And his kingdom good save, And his kingdom and his kingdom fills us with light as we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Into our world of of wealth and accumulation and ever increasing appetite for more, where the idol of provision, this scarcity mentality that tells us we, 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 we were driven for a need of for safety and security wants to own and identify us. Today we proclaim the good news that, G- that God provides in his kingdom all that we need in Christ Jesus. Second is our desire will either enslave or liberate us. So in Matthew uh, six twenty four, no one can serve two masters. A slave will either hate the one, love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and wealth. Friends, um, the, the love in God's kingdom is, is a devoted, loyal, committed relationship. It involves affections. It involves our feelings. I mean, it, it involves that. But when we, when we hear love in Scripture, we, we should think about loyalty, faithfulness, commitment. Right? So the reason we can't love provision and God Is because when we serve God, we're filled with this loyalty and this commitment, this love. When we serve money, we're filled with the need for more money. Serving God turns slaves into sons and daughters. Amen? (laughs) I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. God's love, serving God always liberates and frees us. Now, you'll hear some metaphors about I'm a slave of God. This just means I'm committed. I draw my identity from and I do what he says. But that, that, in, that being a servant or a slave of God always brings freedom to the person, liberates them fully. Whereas when we, serve, when we serve money or possessions here, the Greek word is mammon, it has a power over us. It owns and names us. Our desire, friends, depending upon how it's ordered, will either liberate or enslave. There's this book written in 19—I'm uh, sorry, 1831—called *The Magic Skin* by an author named uh, Honoré de Balzac. Anybody ever heard of this this book? *The Magic Skin* is about this doctor named Raphael. Who, uh, who, who craved like recognition and wealth. He wanted to be powerful and, and important, but it always eluded him. And so he he gambles away his last coin. And he sets off to throw himself off a bridge in the, into the Sine River. And right before he, he's going to commit suicide, Raphael sees this shop, this small shop. And he goes into this small shop and there's exotic items from all over the world there. And one of them is a magic skin from the Orient. Ooh, the Orient was kind of a big deal in 1831. and the shopkeeper tells him that whoever wears it whoever wears this magic skin will get whatever they want but with every act of of self-willfulness the skin would shrink and slowly squeeze the wearer's life from him and the shopkeeper tells Raphael it's free but I would advise you not to take it so what do you think he does? Take it. It's free, right? So, of course, he, he's broke, and he's, uh, he's an ambitious doctor, so he takes the magic skin, and he puts, it, he puts it on. He immediately desires a huge party with dancing and drinking and food, and he instantly gets it. At first, he indulges whatever wish he wants, but the more he gets, the less satisfied he is. His desires for more and more, the skin gets tighter and tighter, squeezing the life out of him, and he eventually falls in love with this woman named Pauline, but his deep desire for her shrinks his skin even more. So you can see where this is going. It's got kind of a Romeo and Juliet sort of uh, feel to it. And I, if you haven't read the book, I'm going to spoil it for you, all right? So just <laughs> plug your ears for 13 seconds if you don't want to know the end of this book. But anyway, so, so he falls in love with Pauline. Uh, <clears throat> in the climax of the story, Pauline visits Raphael in his room and expresses her love for him. And Raphael cannot control his desire for her, so... She rushes into an adjoining room to escape him and save his life. He pounds on the door and declares both his love and his desire to die in her arms. So she, meanwhile, is trying to kill herself to free him from his desire. (laughs) The end of the book, Raphael succeeds in breaking down the door, rushes to Pauline, only to die squeezed, suffocated, and strangled in her arms. Now, I wouldn't know about this book because I don't read 1831 uh, fiction by uh, de Balzac. I don't read by French fiction. It's not my uh, forte. Uh, although I do know words like forte, and that is French. Uh, I don't read these books often, but, uh, but Sigmund Freud, y'all heard of Sigmund Freud? This was the book he chose to read right before he called in his personal doctor so that his personal doctor could help him commit suicide. Friends, this is the pervasive experience of people who, who aren't serving God. We become enslaved to what we desire and that eventually kills us. Now, Freud was brilliant. He contributed a lot to, like, human knowledge. But he had this lucid moment at his death that he was Raphael. Mm-hmm. Friends, idolatry, this idolatry provision, isn't wrong simply because God says so. If that's, where we, if that's kind of where we sit, land, we're not following the logic of what Jesus is saying here. Idolatry is wrong because it's dehumanizing. Because it mars that which has God's image. Because we're not meant to reflect the, uh, uh, the never, ever satisfying allure provision to the world. But we're meant to reflect God's glory. And ultimately, idolatry is wrong because it compromises our ability to to love and it leaves us in bondage, friends, bondage. Into a world, into a world that has a scarcity mentality, that's driven by the need to to be secure and to be safe, makes an idol out of provision. Today, we proclaim the good news. In Christ Jesus and in God's kingdom, we have all we need. And that's a liberating freeing of our desire. Finally, friends, we will identify with what we seek. And this end, uh, this end uh, exhortation by Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. He works from the lesser to the greater. He says, these animals, these flowers are provided for. How much greater are you? Won't you also be provided for? So he says, uh, God cares about you more than you do. God cares about you more than you do. So seek him, right? Orient your desire towards him. Focus on him. This is, now, now he's talked about looking, he's talked about desiring, and now he's talking about your actions. So he's saying, use your entire body and orient it towards God, his kingdom, his righteousness. <laughs> Friends, uh, and then he says, uh, so don't be anxious about your life, which is like, okay, sure, I'll, I'll stop being anxious then, right? It's an easy, just, oh, okay, I'll just flip a switch. There goes anxiety. Uh, someone someone in authority is trying to uh, ruin my life. Oh, okay, I'll stop being anxious about that. Uh, oh, we don't have a place to meet next week for church uh, because they keep uh, constructing this, and uh, there's 50 people who come. Uh, okay, I won't be anxious about that. Um, so how do we stop being anxious, friends? Well, an- anxiety is... Anxiety is the is the uh, exhaust, or it's what's produced by idolatry. Fear, fear. And abundance, or contentment, or peace is the result of of seeking God first, of 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 worship, of worship. So uh, for me uh, right now. Uh, uh, one of the ways God's teaching me to seek him first is, is beginning to notice where I'm experiencing anxiety. Like What brings fear? What do I believe I care about more than God does? And when I notice that, it's a call to worship. If I may use this metaphor, it's... You know, like The Muslims use, use a shofar, and when the shofar sounds, it's a call to pray. So for me, my anxiety rather than something I'm responsible to fix and take and manage in God's kingdom Christ has provided for my anxiety my anxiety is a result of fearing something more than God and so I simply seek him in it does that make sense? anxiety is not my job to fix because Jesus has already fixed it (laughs) he's already provided for it so friends uh, how do we respond today? well part of Why we have a liturgy is that we want to behold Jesus together. So when we have things like silence, we have a time around the table. We're going to come to the table here in a moment. We are gazing upon the beauty, the work, the goodness of the Father. We sit in the round um, because far from thinking that like kids or other people, if I see somebody else I can't worship God, like where do we get that idea? The person you're looking at right now is made in the image of God. When you close your eyes, you're not seeing the image of God, right? So everything we do here is to gaze upon the goodness and the glory of God. Right. So our liturgy is meant to reorder, to reshape our vision so we can look at Jesus and have it form and fill us. Secondly, our discipleship uh, is all about naming and owning our desire. The righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees that the Sermon on the is all about isn't, isn't about the bar being so high that only uh, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, and Father Tim can get it. Like, that's, like, it's not about that, right? It's not about this moral righteousness that is just... No, it's about a, our actual motivations and affections being ordered and shaped by the love of God in Jesus Christ so that, so that we actually experience the commands of Jesus as the best way to live. As the easy yoke. As a brilliant idea. And we look at uh, a, a, a shelf full of bourbon or a floor full of candy and we think, I'm, I'm, I have all that I need. I could have all this candy or none of it. Right? That's not a white knuckle righteousness. That's a liberating, freeing, desire-shaped righteousness, friends. That's, that's the righteousness of Christ's kingdom. And so we learn to seek God and his righteousness, not as an idea that we assent to, but in an everyday life. In everyday life. So, friends, on the way here today, um, there's, there's a church we're talking to on Lantern Road and 116th Street. <coughs> and, um, and I go to, I have a little routine on Sunday mornings, and I go to this coffee shop, and I pray, and I prepare, and uh, I drive right past that church on the way here, and I saw that church, and um, I felt this pang of anxiety, like, like, Lord, I've been talking to you about this for months and months and months, and I'm, it feels like I'm banging on a a door, and I thought I saw a handle, and really, it's just like a stone wall, (laughs) one of those things, right? Um... And what it looks like is when I, when I experience that fear, that anxiety, just noticing it. Noticing that I, what I want to do is I want to tell myself if I don't get that building, then uh, all hope is lost. There's no goodness here. God cares about the trees and the birds more than me. Right? But in that moment, just confessing, God, there's anxiety about this. I fear about this and I I want to I want to receive your kingdom I want to learn how to trust you I want to learn how to be feel safe and secure be safe and secure with whatever I have right here it's one of the big ways God is is dealing with me uh, on this where is it for you friends where do you notice this fear and anxiety about provision about having enough being, maybe you feel unsafe somewhere or unsecured somewhere. Maybe you're living in a in a in a story of if if this happens, then I'll be content. Or when I get this, then then I'll be able to worship. Or then I'll have the good life. The when then if then kind of scenario. Friends, where are you in touch with this? Well we want to we want to respond to the good news that, that God has provided for our idolatry in Christ Jesus. That he wants to order our desire and shape our desire as we trust Jesus with them. And profess his love and his kingdom as being more desirable. So let's do that now. There's a little prayer in your booklet. We'll spend some time responding to this good news. You'll see it there, Lord. I confess the idolatry of provision in my blank, whatever it is. Just insert, insert whatever you're in touch with, whatever you notice, anxiety or fear, right? Wherever you notice that, and then, and then, so we're, we're confessing, and then, and then, it's a petition. Order my desires in love for your kingdom. Order my desires in love for your kingdom, and then you'll say, Lord, in your mercy. And we'll all respond by saying. Hear a prayer. Okay. Let's, let's spend some time in prayer before the Lord.